The Athletic. And welcome back to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne, and coming up this week, we're back from our holidays. Well, not George, but he's earned his rest. And as England's glorious Euros campaign fades into the distance, another chapter of the Newcastle United takeover saga brings us back to reality with a bump. club's newest number nine gets a grilling from the most illustrious inhabitant of that shirt and it's 25 years since Big Al took on the mantle so John Hall speaks to Chris uh, and remembers how he helped pull off the biggest transfer in the club's history So it's great to be returning to the airwaves, even if we're headed straight back into the absolute bin fire that is Mike Ashley's Newcastle United. And I'm joined, as ever, by Mr. Chris Wolf. How are you doing, Chris? Are you okay? Well, I was okay until you brought me in at that stage. Bin fire at Mike Ashley's Newcastle United, and then you bring Chris in, yeah. Here is the absolute bin fire that is Chris Wolf. <laughs> That's what it felt like, but no, no, I am very oh. good, thank you. I am uh, mm. delighted to be back. I know I've had loads of people asking on social media over the last few weeks, where where, where are you, can we come back and chat to everyone? And we have missed you all. I'm not going to lie, we haven't particularly missed Newcastle United and covering this lot, but we have missed each other and all of you out there, so delighted to be back with I've you. I've certainly missed you, Chris. I've m- missed your dulcet tones. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It's like pulling on a comfortable old coat, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. It is, and then it's it's like it's as if we are doing a podcast the day after the last time we did a podcast as well. In terms of what's happened at Newcastle United, it could have we could have just done it then and just just got it ready for now. Literally nothing has happened. <laughs> oh well. well, well, I'm sure we'll make our way through. Have you had a good summer anyway? Did you enjoy the Euros and everything? I know you're not a massive one for international football, but even you must have got swept along with that slightly, did you? I did enjoy the Euros. Yeah, I enjoy it. I'm not massive in terms of really like in England. I'm not that particularly bothered about that, which I, I realise will be a controversial view out there. But I enjoyed the the whole tournament, and I thought England did very well uh, to get to the final. Yeah, it was it was excellent. And I mean, the, particularly the, this Spain Italy semi final was just a fantastic game of football. So it was absolutely wonderful to see a festival of football. Absolutely. Well, we've got lots, and obviously England got the final because of our very own Graham Jones. So of course they did, and that is the only reason. Literally the only reason that England got the final. So, we've got lots to get through anyway, Chris. That Callum Wilson interview that I mentioned in the intro was a fantastic uh, a fantastic read and it was brilliantly put together by by Alan Shearer and George as well, uh, assisting him ably. Uh, and we've got a couple of tasters coming up from that. But you'll need to subscribe to The Athletic to enjoy that article in its full glory. So before we get started, here's the latest deal. If you subscribe to The Athletic before the start of the new Premier League season, which I'm reliably informed is the 15th of August, uh, you'll get a 33% discount, so that's a third off the regular price. You'll get all the same great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of these podcasts, including this brilliant one that you're listening to right now. 
So get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod before the 15th of August for a third off the price of a subscription. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. So hurry yourself along. Right then, Chris. What shall we dive into first? I mean, the takeover is 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 something that's still on everybody's lips, isn't it? It's still the fly in the ointment, the annoying uh, younger brother. Uh, we we need to, we need to cover this, don't we? We need to talk about it as, as much as we don't want to. Uh, so, can you give me a rough idea of of where we are at the minute and what exactly is going on for those of us who are uninitiated? Right. So, yes, I mean, in, in in one sense, when I said that nothing has happened, it's nothing has happened in terms of nothing really has moved on. But things have happened in the sense that there have been some developments. So there have been the, the cat case, um, which is Mike Ashley and St. James's holding. That is a personal um, legal case, which he has lodged. That is now scheduled. The first part of it is now scheduled to be heard. I think it's September the 27th. That is just a preliminary hearing, though, essentially with the Premier League trying to get that thrown out. So we will not get any resolution necessarily to that other than if the cat case isn't going to go forward on that front. So that is very much being kicked in the long grass. But as so, so too as, as, as arbitration, I mean, there was a lot of stuff from um, Amanda Staveley and Newcastle United about a month and a month and a half ago where they were pushing for transparency and they were encouraging fans and obviously some fans went down to London and protested outside the Houses of Parliament along from uh, Downing Street and also outside the uh, Premier League offices for transparency with the takeover, for information as to exactly what is happening and basically for arbitration to be held in public. Newcastle United called for that, Amanda Staveley called for that and instead not only did that not become public, instead what we had was uh, a short statement released which was co-signed by both the Premier League and Newcastle United on the first day of arbitration basically saying that both sides have agreed for arbitration to be pushed forward to quote-unquote early 2022 due to uh, issues providing evidence. We don't know uh, what exactly that means, what, what in terms of it, whether it's both sides or not. I mean, what I understand is that, that it is and that there's been issues on both sides in terms of providing that, but basically it's still in complete limbo and so Mike Ashley remains owner he was very much hopeful I mean he was hopeful he was going to go last summer but this summer he wasn't going to be there and instead we're just at this situation whereby Mike Ashley remains owner Newcastle United haven't signed anyone yet this window Steve Bruce is still manager and still this long-term uncertainty we the, the talk the takeover hasn't actually completely gone away but nor is it any closer to actually being resolved I feel like we've had this conversation for the last Two years constantly, Chris. It's just so frustrating, isn't it? And it just rumbles on and on and on. Um, And I I know for a fact fans are absolutely desperate for some kind of resolution to this. But the danger is here that while we're in this sort of stasis, that we're, we're just kind of stuck in suspended animation, waiting for things to happen, the club is in real danger of sliding, isn't it? You know, because Mike Ashley's kind of... You know, he's took his hand off the tiller. We're just kind of drifting along. We're, we're not. We're not really doing anything. The the club is just kind of bobbing along, isn't it? And there's there's a real danger here that if we don't if we don't think about what we're doing and we we don't take this year in the Premier League seriously, that we we could slide into a dangerous position. Very much so. This is the. It's almost last. There was the second or the last half, last part of um of the twenty nineteen. 20- 20 season where you felt like that this 
sort of inertia, this limbo that Newcastle in couldn't really go on, and yet it did into a full season, and there was sort of like a mindset yeah. last summer where, right, well, this season, certainly at least for a fair portion of it, Mike Ashley's going to remain owner, let's get through this, and there was actually some transfer business last year, belatedly, uh, in that at the time seemed quite positive transfer business in, in a relative sense, obviously Callum Wilson, Jamal Lewis, um, Ryan Fraser, they brought in a few players, and it Jeff looked Hendrick. like Jeff Hendrick as well, obviously the, the key one. Um, and it looked like uh, it looked like they were going to have an an okay season, and it didn't work out that way for various reasons, for, for which we've we've gone into a million times on this podcast. But then the thought that it was going to go into another season of there not being a resolution either way, in terms of the fact that arbitration we'd known since I think it was March when the the or April when the cat case came out that the arbitration was going to be in July, but because it was confidential, we didn't have any information beyond that. But it was all built up as if there could be a resolution either way in terms of whether the owners and directors test could eventually progress and or whether it, it just they, the Premier League had applied it correctly and therefore the takeover was never going to happen and instead what we have is that this has been postponed till early 2022 cat case doesn't look like being resolved anytime soon either and it's just exasperating for for everyone involved and and the fact that this has been allowed to drag on in this way. I just don't think the problem I've got in terms of everything that's going on, and I know Newcastle fans have raised this, is in terms of this idea that the Premier League owners and directors test is there to protect individual Premier League clubs and therefore to prevent poor owners from coming in. I, I sort of understand that, but equally you've now left Newcastle in a position where, but which is partly Mike Ashley's own fault because he keeps pushing up from this. And if it's not going to happen, then maybe he himself should walk away. And that, that may be the Premier League's argument on this. But but instead, you you have an owner who basically is, is signed off more than a year ago. Doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, he's checked out, isn't he? Yeah, and the club the club is just languishing in this position whereby there aren't signings arriving. They are renewing contracts they don't really want to renew just so they don't have to sign anyone. And it, there is frustration internally in the council. Some of the players are going frustrated and understandably so. How how could they not? And as as I just think that. Mike Ashley's got away with a heck of a lot over the last few months or or, or or year, even if you want to say that in terms of just because he has been so keen for this takeover to happen and he has pushed for it. But equally, he's allowed things to continue happening at the club that he remains custodian for. And that is just simply unacceptable. But this is a man who, throughout his more than 14 years as owner, hasn't really cared a lot about what Newcastle fans think. And so that I think that's going to fall on deaf ears, unfortunately. Yeah, there is that there is that just that wall of belligerence, isn't there, when it comes to Mike Ashley, who he'll he'll just do whatever is more suitable for Mike Ashley than anything else, won't he? He's he's, he's not there as some some kind of caring owner. He will literally just do what what is right for him. Uh, and 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 the hell with the consequences, kind of thing. It's interesting, though, isn't it? And like you say, there, the the, the owners and directors test, like you rightly say, the idea of it is to protect fans from from unscrupulous owners and stuff like that. But I'm, the longer this goes on, it feels more like it's there to protect the Premier League. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but it just feels like it's kind of a barrier for them that that they can put this, they can stick this fence up and say, well, actually, you don't meet our standards, so I'm afraid you're not you're not welcome to the party, you know. Um, that's just kind of how I feel about it. Um, it's it's strange though, Chris. But what's the what's the kind of next steps then? Is there any is there any prospect of any kind of conclusion this season, or do you think it's likely to rumble on and on? Um, 
it's a. I'd be lying if I said I could answer that question with a. With <laughs> an, an, a but I would be, and I don't. I don't want to try and yeah, present sort of false information about. We've had so many supposed deadlines throughout, which have which have come and gone, and and haven't turned out to be correct, and also so many different. I don't pretend to be. Uh, the font of all knowledge of, of everything to do with arbitrations and, and, and legal issues oh, like CAT. And I've tried, to, we at The Athletic have gone to people and tried to speak to people in, in more than all than us, but even they, to a certain degree, certainly to do with arbitration, are taking a bit of a leap because it's confidential and we don't know exactly what is happening and what is going on there. There there could be a resolution, but equally that there there might not be. I just I just don't know. I think at the moment that the mindset certainly of Mike Ashley needs to be I am going to be here for this season and I need to make sure that Newcastle United are in a stronger position than they are now. That is how I believe he should be looking at it. But but that, that's easy for me to say because Mike Ashley is just not going to listen to that. So well, as we know, Chris, what he should do and what he actually ends up doing is two completely different things, aren't they? But we've had and we've had that for years. But yeah, okay. Well, there we go. The take the takeover rumbles on, um, and and you know I'm get, I'm starting to get a bored of the whole thing to be honest. But hopefully we'll find some kind of resolution in the in the not too distant future. Uh, and it's it's a complicated matter, isn't it? And uh, and and I understand that it's uh, there's lots of caveats and lots of details and stuff to go into. And I'm by no means any kind of expert when it comes to legal stuff. So I think we'll leave that to the to the experts. <laughs> Definitely right. Let's move on. Athletic podcast listeners and especially fans of the Totally Football Show, here's some exciting news if you're that way inclined. The Totally Football Yearbook is the definitive chronicle of the not particularly easy to say 2020-2021 season and it'll look absolutely ravishing on your bookshelf. It'll have features, season reviews, stats, quizzes and plenty more, plus a foreword from Jamie Carragher and lots of the good stuff from your favourite athletic writers, including Nick Miller, Rafa Honigstein and James Horncastle, and people like Daniel Storey, Duncan Alexander and Julian Laurent from Team Totally. The Totally Football Yearbook is out on August the 5th and you can pre-order your copy wherever you get your books today. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. So, um, I don't know if you heard it this week, but, or if you saw on the Twitter or on the interweb, uh, the Athletics' big interview this week, it was fantastic, it came to you courtesy of Alan Shearer, uh, assisted ably by our very own George Colgan, uh, and is with the current Newcastle number nine, uh, a man carrying plenty of responsibility on his shoulders as he goes into the new season, Mr. Callum Wilson. Did you have a listen to it, Chris? Did you have a read of the... Did you have a read of the interview? Oh, yes, certainly did. I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. It was fabulous, wasn't it? Seeing the way that sort of 
Shearer's main works and now Callum Wilson's main works. There's sort of similarities between them, but just that yeah, thirst yeah, yeah. for goals, just that de- everything is just obsessed with how and it like to have that sort of instinct, which is what Newcastle were lacking until Callum Wilson for so many years until Callum Wilson arrived last summer. Yeah, it was it was wonderful, and and Wilson setting himself targets and things like that. Yeah, it was absolutely excellent to read. Definitely. We've got a few clips for you now if you want to have a little listen to those. Alan, uh, ask Callum exactly how it feels to be wearing that number nine uh, after a year in the unlucky number 13. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, it's such an iconic shirt um, uh, for, for Newcastle United. You know, yourself, you've wore it in the past and done great things on that shirt. And for me, it was a selling point coming to the club, having the opportunity to play in front of such a great fan base and being a striker, you want to wear the number nine shirt as you know, and um, and for me, coming up first season, uh, walked in the door and didn't want to kind of, you know, ruffle any feathers straight away. So yeah. you have to bide your time, get your feet under the table a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, just, you know, make friends around the dressing room rather than enemies straight away. So I thought for me, you know, just being the mature thing to do was just to settle for 13 uh, first season. And then me and Joe had the conversation uh, recently when the seven come up available and that's an iconic shirt as well and I says you know I play predominantly down the middle as a striker and he plays a little bit more out wide so it made sense really he's a nice enough guy um, he's a top lad he was he was understanding about it and yeah how was it how, 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 did the, how did the conversation go was it uh, and, and how soon did you ask him did you ask him did you ask him at the beginning of last season when you got here and was the, was it no and how did it how did it go this uh, this summer when when it uh, when the seven became available and it was nice to to drop it in there. Was he all right about it or was he a bit reluctant? Um, it's, it's difficult <laughs> to say. <laughs> um, I think at first, um, you know, as, a, as any striker would be, you've got someone who you've just signed and bringing into the club. Uh, first things first, you know, they you know that there's competition there and they're going to try and take your position. And then secondly, you don't want them definitely taking your squad number. So, you know, it was one of those things where we just kind of didn't bring the discussion to Joey um, last season. And this year, um, we was on pre-season tour in York and the first pre-season game was coming up and there was a few questions asked, are oh, you taking the nine this season? And I, I kind of hadn't thought about it, you know, about having the conversation with him. And yeah, just so happened, we was walking down the corridor, walking past one another, we was both on our own. And I just pulled him and just says, you know, would you like to take seven? I'd prefer to have nine if you'd be okay with that. And he just basically says, yeah, thank you for asking. And, you know, was was a gentleman about it. And Correct. like I say, he's such a nice guy um, that I didn't expect anything else, really, to be honest. It was, you try not to make it a one-sided conversation. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no way you should have, you should have, You should have asked him earlier. You should have asked him last season then. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. I just thought, you know, I just thought we'll get this, get this first season out of the way, let him have some time off and then, We'll come back and have a have a proper discussion then about it. So you you know the significance of that uh, of that shirt. I mean, I could imagine that there have been one or two that have come into Newcastle and sort of shied away from it because of the situation. It was very similar with me and Les Ferdinand when he was here. I asked the question to the manager before I uh, before I signed, and um, Les kindly gave it to me. But I'm, I would imagine that one or two have ran away from wearing the number nine shirt because of the pressure, but that never entered your mind. You you, you, you understand what it is and knew the significance of it. Yeah, for me, um, I'm quite a self-confident player anyway. I believe in myself. Um, 
you know, I always believe, you know, whether it's a great shirt to have on the back and you're playing for the badge on the front, but ultimately you've got a job to do, you know, as a, as a man on the pitch at that, that moment in time. And I think, um, yeah, I kind of don't let it absorb my brain and kind of, you know, weigh me down. You're just flourishing it and trying to excel. And I'm just looking forward to obviously wearing it in the stadium with all the fans there and stuff like that. It's going to be such a, a proud moment for myself and my family. And, you know, all you want to do is do it justice for people like yourself. Really interesting to hear that that conversation went on with him and Joe Linton in the background, and that it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of clubs a club decision or anything like that. It was just worked out between the two of them. I like I like hearing little bits like that. It's nice. Uh, gives you a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, one major source of frustration for Alan Shearer has been watching the mega talented Alan San Maximan underperforming when it comes to delivery to the strikers, uh, and he uh, he asked Callum Wilson if he had it out with him, uh, as Alan definitely would have done. <laughs> no, do you know what it is? I, obviously, in training, I say to him, listen, you'd be so much better if you do your skills and then do the simple thing. I said, and sometimes you don't need to do skills because you're so quick and powerful. Go and, and pass it simple, you know. In training, you'll take on a player, take him on again, take him on again. And I'm like, look, you can do that, but can you do the other side? And that's where it's going to take you from Newcastle to the France uh, World Cup, what he wants to go to and stuff like that. And this year, he's definitely come back with a... His mindset's concentrated, you know. He seems like he's got a focus. He's got a, a drive this year. And he said to me, I want to go to the World Cup with France. So for me, I said, well, I'll get you the assists and be in mm. positions to, 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 to do that for you and also do the same for me. And, you know, we had a good little relationship the other night and he dragged so many people away. Then he turned right. with the ball and then it's like, right, can you find me now? And that's something, you know, the more we play together, the more he's, he's going to do that. Uh, nobody scored 20 goals for Newcastle in the Premier League season since Alan Shearer did it in 2003 and four. Uh, but Callum Wilson's in an optimistic mood this year. Have a listen to this. You know, 12 is not a number I want to be associated with as a striker. Um, you want to be up near 20, 15 and at least um, obviously frustrated to have setbacks with the injuries that hampered me. I felt like I was on my way to a 20 goal season. But I kind of took what I did you know, with the chances that I had within games, I thought I was as clinical as I could be. There's always bits of you finishing that you can brush up on as well. More chances, you know, stand straight to mind is Brighton second, get third game of the season, I think it was. I had a header, should have scored that. And, you know, I was still kicking myself when I was injured, thinking that would have been an extra goal, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. But I think I'm working hard now, pre-season. I'm getting a good, uh, you know, bit of running and physicality behind me, getting robust and... I just want to get to get to twenty goals this season. You know, I'm not kind of is that a target for you? Because I I I always used to say to myself whenever a season started, I've got to get to twenty goals. I've got to try and get there as quickly as possible. It might be a long run, but twenty goals I think is is more than acceptable in this season. Is that a, is that a target for you? Because you've mentioned it yourself there. Try to get to twenty. Is that is that a target for you and your brain? Yeah, one hundred percent. I think you know I've played in League One. I've played in the Championship. I played in the Premier League and this is the only league that I haven't hit 20 goals in yet. So it's grinding me away inside, you know. So <laughs> it's something that, you know, deep down I want to achieve just for myself and, and uh, you know, yeah, personally. And I think it's, 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 yeah, it's no secret I want to hit 20 goals this season. I'm going to do everything in my power to hit that as well as helping the team and providing assists for others. But ultimately I'm judged on scoring goals and that's, that's, that's all I'm that's what I'm thinking about. It's what I want to do. And I've got one eye, you know, on a long-term goal of trying to make the World Cup as well. So that's something that's given me a little bit of uh, motivation and internal uh, desire as well. 
Fantastic stuff, Chris. Absolutely love listening to that. Oh, absolutely wonderful. I mean, just on the, the Sam Maximan sort of point, what was into this isn't about Sam Maximan, but it's about Wilson and sort of that willingness to to actually call out to their players. It was the Rotherham preseason friendly, and you'd Newcastle had been poor and there'd been some some sort of poor they'd they'd been poor in the build up play, and there was one run that Wilson made in, in the second half where. He tried to, to run through and he was he was cleaning. And Murphy had done really well from right wing back. Nicked the ball, was trying to push on, and then was going to play through Wilson and, and massively overhit the pass. And Wilson just turned around and like screamed at him and told him no in certain times. That just was not acceptable. And it's it's yeah. it's just that and, and, and it it's just having that it's that desire to he wants to score goals. He wants every opportunity to score goals and he wants people to put him in that position. And what he's saying to Sam Maximan is there's if he says if you if you actually put it in the box, I will I will get you more assists because I will score goals and I will benefit from that myself yeah. getting the goals. And it is that mindset and that's where he does sort of fit with the mindset of some of the great strikers over the years is just that desire to score more goals and to get more goals. And that that's different to him and Joe Linton. I've, I've felt for Joe Linton to a certain extent over the last couple of years because he's not a number nine and he, he sh- I don't think he should ever have been given that number. I don't think it was fair from two. And I think that just that mindset with Wilson just shows that he is the perfect fit for that shirt. Absolutely. It was great to hear somebody with that kind of hunger as well, though, isn't it? That's exactly what you want to hear as a fan. You want you want someone saying, you know, this is what I want. I want 20 goals, and if I don't get them, I'm not going to be happy. You, I love to hear that. And also to, to hear the similarities between the way he was speaking and the way you hear Alan Shearer talk about scoring goals and, and that sort of mindset that those elite strikers have. It's it's great to hear that uh, hear that coming from your current number nine as well. You know, it's exactly what we need going into the new season. Oh, it is, and, and that's... He's talking about 20 goals. I mean, 20 goals, Newcastle, as, as you said, it's, it's, nobody's done it since Shearer himself. And it's, it's a lot, it's, isn't it's, it? But, but even beyond... <laughs> the deluded fool. <laughs> even if you go beyond sort of the the really top sides, very few forwards in the Premier League score 20 goals, but he has that desire to do it. I mean, if he'd played the the full season last season, he probably would have got something... In terms of the ratio he's on, he would have got about he 18. He would have been close, because, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. He missed a third of the season. He got. He got uh, twelve or thirty, whatever it was overall. And it's just, I, I think that in a team, if you've got Alan Saint Maximum fit, then Newcastle will create opportunities for Wilson, and Wilson will take enough of them. And that's where I go into the season, despite everything that's gone so far, where I think that Newcastle will be just about okay, and why they should always have been okay last season is because of those two. But it's it's about keeping them fit, this getting them the out thing, of the pitch, and getting them there together. It's that front two, three, four, depending on how we're going to play and what formation we're going to use. It's it's keeping those lads fit. So Almiron, Sam Maximan, Gillen, and then and Callum Wilson. It's keeping those guys match fit and and keeping them on the pitch because that's where they're going to do the damage. We need to make sure that 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 that's the case this season. And and I think without that, I think we're going to struggle. You know, Chris, for for goals because we there wasn't goal there wasn't many goals coming from other parts of the other parts of the squad last year. Whereas in the year before that, we didn't have many goals from up front and we had more goals from midfield and stuff like that. So, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed Callum can start smashing them in again. That's that's what we all want to see. Uh, So, I know I've already told you this, uh, but bears repeating. So, if you want to get access to that whole uh, Callum Wilson interview, yeah, you're going to need a subscription to The Athletic. So, luckily, uh, if you subscribe to The Athletic before the start of the new Premier League season, you'll get a 33% discount. That's a third off the regular price. So, get yourself over to theathletic.com Newcastle pod before the 15th of August for a third off the price of subscription. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. 
Pod. Twenty-five years ago this week, Chris, we've just spoke about him before. Mr. Alan Shearer signed for Newcastle United uh, in a shock to the world of football, a world record fee of £15 million. And you've been speaking to one of the architects of that very deal, uh, a man who doesn't do many interviews. So we're very lucky to be able to talk to him, uh, Sir John Hall. We have signed Alan Shearer. It's a world record fee that we've paid. And we're delighted, obviously. Other than that, we want to save the press conference until we go back home to Newcastle because the signing is for the people of Newcastle. We, sh- we feel we should talk about it in front of our fans first and not when we're away from home. And really, that is the only statement. That is the statement that will be released to the press. So, you know, But it just shows you the ambition of a team like Newcastle United. We are the biggest thinking team in Europe now. We're not the biggest, most successful team yet, but we're the biggest thinking. Welcome Alan Shearer to Newcastle United Football Club. Obviously, thanks very much for the tremendous welcome that you gave us all today. It's a great privilege for me. Um, I think it was more years ago than I care to remember when I actually went to a Blue Star Soccer Day, sponsored by the brewery, and Alan was there. I think he was there as a goalkeeper then. Too many years to mention, and a lot of money has fetched him back. But it's your money. It's the money you've spent. And I see it as my job and it's a privilege to have the job of reinvesting that money. You put it in and then I put it into the team so that when you come to watch the product on the park here, it's the very, very best that we feel we can provide because that's what you deserve. And we have certainly done that with this man on my right. And I don't want to say any more. It's his day. It's your day. And it's lovely to see a Geordie come back home. We've sold him off time and time again up here we've built stands with the money people have said and we've we tried to buy other players to replace them very quickly that's gone at this club now he's come here because he knows he's got a great chance of winning something and we've bought him because we know even with the great players we've got that this guy my right is going to improve them so he's yours it's your day and i'm really pleased for you i knew that i would not i feel good Number nine at Newcastle is, is, is something special, something that I've, as I've said, always wanted to do, and now I've got the chance to do that. It's a, it's a dream come true. So good, so good, I got you. I just can't wait to get going now. There's, as I said, there's Les, there's, there's Ginola, there's Beardsley, there's, you can go through the whole side, and 
And if we can gel, which uh, I, I don't see it being a problem, then uh, hopefully there's one or two goals for us. So good, so good, I got a year. After all, I'm only a sheet metal worker's son from Newcastle. chief exec at the time. He was very active in the Premier League and very, he was friendly with Jack Walker who owned uh, Blackburn and uh, Freddie took a call from uh, Jack Walker one day saying that Man United uh, were after Sheeran had made approach for him and I don't think Jack Walker was very keen to do a deal with them so he always had an understanding with Freddie um, they were very close friends that if Alan Shearer ever became available he would give us an opportunity. Well, of course, when Freddie came in, bump, sure is available. Well, we just looked at him, you know. <laughs> World record fee they wanted. Uh, he said, we've got a chance to buy him, and we couldn't believe it. So, anyway, Jack Warren told him, give me 15 million, and he's yours. So then, of course, we had to then, bump, bump, where did we get the cash from? Um, so it was a case of our own cash. But the Casa Breweries, at the time, were a great supporter of the club. And they actually brought sponsorships forward and up front and put them on the table. So we managed to put the 15 million together and um, there he was. He was in the castle in, in uh, the player. It was a fantastic time. We never even thought for one moment we'd ever get him, but he came to the castle and I remember the day he came, that day there was 12,500 people in the stadium just basically waiting for him to arrive. What a time. I mean, when it's said to you that it's £15 million if you want to say in him, it's £20 million to to Manchester United. I mean, nowadays that doesn't seem like no. that much money, but in those days that was huge. I mean, what was your initial reaction when those sorts of figures were said? Well, where do we get the cash from? You know, there's a lot of cash at the time. It's, it's, uh, uh, world records today well over £100 million, but basically at the time that was a world record. £15 million was the equivalent, basically, I suppose, of £100 million today. That was the sort of sums we were playing around. It was a big sum for the club because the turnovers were good, but they're not that brilliant, not that high. So um, we just had to find it, but we found it and it came and it lifted Newcastle to a new level. Obviously, that this was at the time when the club was was through yourself and 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 Kevin Keegan had gone through this transformation. You just you just missed out on the title, and and I've looked back at your quote at the time and you spoke about. The, the fact that Alan Shearer, a Geordie, had, had gone elsewhere and, and that talent had seeped away and that you wanted, to, there was this vision to try and make it so that players like that wouldn't leave the region. I mean, if you look 25 years on, how how important was it to bring home someone like Alan Shearer, who's, who's such an icon for the region? Oh, he was. He was, he was a hero to most people and he was an icon. He was a Geordie and it, it's... I've always had the dream, you know, of um, trying to get a team of 11 Geordies who would play with their hearts. Good footballers would play with their hearts on their sleeve. And um, it was never possible. And we've lost so many players over the years. And I, when, I, when I got into the club, when I took over the club, I had this plan, in effect, to set up academies all throughout the northeast region and across to Carlisle, where we would put a retired player, so, um, Peter Beers in charge of Berwick, and up there would basically have a, a, an academy. Maybe have five or six around the northeast, and the intention was to to be a place where young people could come, young players could come very early, but be part of the club in a sense. And at the same time, 
they our players in charge of these academies would look for the good players and basically gradually bring them through. And I always had the thought that basically once a season we'd have the academies playing each other. And so we could see the we could say finalists in James's Park and we could see the good players. And I wanted to try and keep the players, the good players in the northeast um, in this area and play for Newcastle United. But I, I couldn't make it happen at the time. But that's always the dream. And it's not, it's not new. If you can tap me, because there's always been you know, players like the northeast working class areas where football, in a sense, took you from your, your, not your poverty, but your background in the past. It was a means of getting out. And uh, it was something, in a sense, that we always wanted to do. But th- there are good players in this region, still are. They're there. You just got to find them. And it's, but even if, basically, you didn't play in Newcastle, you had the next generation of supporters at your academies. And it, you could use it for education. And this is what I intended to do. And use it more, basically, just for playing football. But to get to the young people in an area and maybe help you get them off drugs. It was a complete social um, thing that I wanted to do. And, I mean, when Shearer... When you, you you're looking at Shearer at that point, I mean, was it was it something that, that that Kevin pushed as well? Because obviously, you already had Les Ferdinand, so you had one big strike, and there was a lot of doubts from elsewhere as to can Ferdinand and Shearer come together. Were those doubts ever expressed internally at the club? No, I, I think I thought it. I wondered how they'd get on each other, you know. But no, no, just I was no opposition from anybody about getting Shearer, none whatsoever. It was wonderful, a wonderful time. It was just, there was elation throughout the club. It lifted us to that next level. When you bring a world-class player to your club, wow, they've got ambition. They want to go forward. And that rebounds itself from the fans. And it was, but, you know, they just fighting to get in. Again, basically, we, we never had a, a ticket in the centre seat free. The, the, the stadium was completely sold out all the time. And I said, it, it, it lifts the club in the eyes, not just with, but nationally, globally. And players abroad that you might want to bring in, they might not have thought of coming to Castle before, but ah, you know, um, they might say, this club's got a mission, I want to be there, I want to be part of that team. That was like Janola. Janola came because we had a, Keegan had ambition. And uh, it was, no, it, we were good for him, and he was good for us. And uh, it was a wonderful time when he was with us, he did well. And when you had those, the negotiations were ongoing. I mean, it was it was was it hard to keep it all sort of secret and out from from the press? Because obviously, this is the England captain at the time, or certainly where he'd just been at Euro '96. He was a wonderful player, man. Now he'd interested as well. Was it all difficult to, to keep it under wraps? I, I, I would imagine. But I can't remember now what the time is because uh, Freddie, Freddie and Douglas and Freddie, Freddie uh, Shepard and Douglas, my son, and Freddie Fletcher would do the dealing, and. Uh, pulled all together very quickly but it's uh, these things you know to, I would imagine we tried very hard to keep it secret but eventually it got out that's why I bet you know, when he came well can you remember that day yeah. at the stadium I, I couldn't believe it <laughs> we, had, we had more people there than some football teams have attendance on a Saturday and what, what was it like to 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 see the sort of pride from the fans looking on that day and then obviously in the years to come, but the fact that Newcastle, their club, had managed to, to sign a world record signing and then it was their player coming home, what was it like for you to look out at the sort of pride that that generated? Well, that's a real... It, it, it's, in a sense, it was... I'm a northeastern and the club, not Newcastle, now there's basically a club for us, for Geordies, etc. I'd say north of the river. But it just showed everybody our ambition. 
we wanted to go places and that we've bounded on all the supporters and the people within the area and, and the factories and the jobs the people they used to tell us basically uh, the, uh, the, the owners of businesses who had tickets etc they used to tell us the, the, the staff couldn't wait to get in on a Monday morning just to talk about the football and the players and that's what it does and it happens you know, I suppose Man City today the supporters have got that elation that feeling when they're buying all these top players in with all their wealth so in a sense it, it came on us in a smaller way and in terms of the success that, that Shearer had, I mean, you said you were signing a world-class player and, and, and he was obviously coming, but he was already in his sort of mid-twenties by that stage. Could you have foreseen the success he would actually have in terms of his goals and that he would become the record goal scorer? Well, you, 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 you can at bits. You just hope, in a sense, the players are going to um, show exactly what they can do. And Shearer did that. He was, a, what shall I say, a fellow who was full of determination. Well, he, went on the, he went on the park to win. And he carried that winning mentality to the rest of the players. And when if anybody didn't play well, he would have a go at them and tell them, come on. But he was determined. He gave you 100%, 110, 120% every time he got on the park and wore the black and white shirt. And in that final point, in terms of that time, did, did, given the fact that Newcastle just missed out on the title the previous season, was was it the hope that Shearer was the, the sort of final piece of the jigsaw and that it just didn't quite happen in that sense? But was that the idea at the time, that this is the guy who's going to win us the title? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, well, that's why we bought it, basically. We're not the next step. And uh, it didn't happen, unfortunately, but uh, that's where we brought him in. And uh, hopefully, in the sense, to, to, to win something. And to carry the, we didn't win it, of course, but uh, always the bridesmaids, but never the bride. And it was a great disappointment to me. We tried hard enough. But in the fact that uh, the game changed when Abramovich came in. Basically, I suppose that basically put the damp around clubs of Newcastle sides in ownership. They were all millionaires, not billionaires. And Abramovich came in and changed the nature of the game, which is continuing today. It's now just a case of basically, have you got enough money to compete? You haven't got, the local people haven't got enough money to compete with all the oligarchs that are coming in, have, have come in, and the hedge funds, pension funds, a whole lot. It's a changed world. But at the time, it was our world and it was a great time. I look back with pride and uh, smiles and uh, a great thank you to everybody. It wasn't just me. It was a whole team of people that came in and tried to make it happen in Newcastle. And the brewery, I must have, Newcastle breweries at the time, well, actually, the support was tremendous. But, um, you know, Shearer, great. And uh, he's a nice fellow. He's a great fellow. He has a knowledge of the game which basically you can transmit to other people and other players. And for that, um, I wish to thank him personally and uh, wish him well. 25 days, should I say. I can't believe the years have gone so quickly. But I wish him well and whatever comes for him in the future. Oh, there you go. Emotional stuff. Uh, fantastic to hear Sir John Hall talking like that about those times and, and, and giving us a little bit of insight into that deal as well, the Alan Shearer deal. Uh, really interesting stuff about the, the brewery being involved and stuff like that and putting the, the sponsorship money up so they could afford him. It's At the time, you don't think about any of that stuff when you're a fan. You just think, oh, we've bought Alan Shearer. We must have 50 million quid in the bank. But God, the work they had to go through to get that deal over the line was incredible, wasn't it? It was. And I mean, the brewery were heavily involved and in, in, in quite a lot of, of, of Newcastle's entertainers here in terms of they were crucial in getting Kevin Keegan back in the first place. His contract as well was heavily incentivised by the brewery in East. That's part of the reason why I used to go and do all the talks, both when he was a player and then when he came back as a manager. But £15 million, I mean, as, 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 I, as I asked Sir John about, I mean, that is 
then that is now you'd see a 15 million I mean, that's pound about, and it's just normal what's then, about 100 million pound you would think now something like that yeah yeah it, it, you're probably talking sort of jack grealish Har- borderline harry kane sort of money in terms of that because it's and, and newcastle united went and did that they just missed out on the premier league title and as john said that 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 was the next piece of the jig so that is what they wanted to to, ha- to 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 move on the, the, the ambition was right we've just missed out who is the next person who is the person who is actually going to deliver us the premier league title that was the thought process at newcastle united in, in july 1996 i mean it's just it feels a lot longer than 25 years ago that was the case just because of what we've been through over the last 14 years i mean yeah 20 years later alan Shearer ended up getting a statue you know for what he did for the club and ultimately i would say we got value for money on that deal didn't we oh without a shadow of a doubt i mean the the as Sir John said, you you couldn't you couldn't predict that he was going to go and score two hundred and six goals. You hoped that he was going to go and break all sorts of records, but the fact that he was going to be there for a decade and that he was going to score—I mean, the, the number of seasons where he scored twenty plus goals—and and and, and he, he may not have actually and with seasons with big injuries as well. Seasons yeah, when he had big injuries when he was out for a long time, exactly. and still the level of the the amount of goals he scored is just terrifying. Yeah, two seasons almost fully out with with really serious injuries where he had to adapt the way that he played as well. That was so wonderful about Shearer. He's never the quick player in the world but he, he had to change the way he played because he couldn't anymore run him behind and he could he didn't have the mobility he had previously and he benefited from having what's the what Sir Bobby did with him was to bring in players who could do the run for him and, and the likes of Bellamy and Dyer who could go beyond him and that allowed Shearer to play in a, in, in a slightly different way but his, his, his ability to be able to adapt and to score goals it, no matter how he was playing was just phenomenal and, and yeah he was it was and it was an emotional time to bring home Alan Shearer. And that's what I found for when Sir John goes on about the fact that there was an idea and, and as pie in the skies, it may seem in, in, in certainly in the modern day Premier League, but in pie in the skies, it was that, that we, that they wanted Geordie players and or Northeast players to be playing for Newcastle United. And that, that is, that's what all Newcastle fans want deep down. He, it means a little bit more if it's someone who's from the area. I mean, that was when the long staffs broke through. When you, when you see Elliot Anderson come on last year, that, that there is that something extra that it means. And so to have, to, for, for someone like Alan Shearer to have slipped through the net and to have gone away. And there's also been the likes of Michael Carrick and so many others over the years to, to, to have that idea that you're going to try and keep those around. I, I think is something that all clubs should be trying to do. And it was, it's just a shame that really things haven't kicked on in that way at all. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to get into the recruitment and the playing squad and stuff next week, um, but it's a stark contrast, isn't it, in terms of ambition of, of the club now compared to back then? You don't think no signings is, is similar to the world record time? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Chris, the only team in the Premier League, we, we are, you know, we're out there, we're, we're leading the way. The only team in the Premier League who haven't signed anyone. Maybe this is the new tactic that, that teams needed to, to do all along. Maybe not signing anyone is the new signing someone. Yeah, although I mean, some of the signings that people have. Made, I mean, Man City's only signing is Scott Carson, so I don't think that's the. I mean, they are they are actually trying to sign Jack Grealish and Harry Kane, so I suppose there is a massive difference there. But equally, Scott Carson filling the old homegrown player quotient out there, <laughs> nicely, lovely stuff, fantastic. Well. There we go, Chris. It's been nice being back, hasn't it? It's almost been like a pre-season friendly for me and you, kind of getting our getting our chops back up and uh, trying to get ourselves back to full fitness. We've played a couple of the second string this week and we'll be bringing back the big guns soon. Uh, <laughs> trying to get ourselves back match fit before the season starts. Well, there was definitely uh, but it's echoes nice. of, of Newcastle's pre-season friendly against York, which was a horror <laughs> show in this, in this, 
<laughs> well, speak for yourself. This hasn't been a horror show, I don't think. It's been all right, hasn't it? Well, I've enjoyed I meant, myself. I meant, I meant mine and your performance more than anything else. I mean, there's been some great stuff in terms of the Callum Wilson interview into John Hall, but then there's just been me and you. So. We are very much the glue that, that, that joins all of this together, though, Chris. You know, Without us, the whole thing would fall apart. Without us, all you would have would be Alan Shearer and Callum Wilson, and that's just not enough quality, is it? <laughs> Oh, God. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Anyway, it's been great. Right, that's it for our first show. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, we're going to be getting into the football uh, next week. We'll have a look at the squad, transfers, or lack thereof, and what success looks like for Newcastle United in the 2021-22 season. And I'm sure that will be a whole heap of fun, Chris. Until then, take care of yourselves, uh, and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Athletic.